best way to get great results is to buck the norm and be bold and be relatable and be a leader that people want to follow. Hey there, it's Beth from Jostle, and I'll be your host on today's episode of People at Work. Today I'm talking with Erin Hatsakostas, who is the founder and CEO of Be Authentic Inc. Erin is going to walk us through some of her experiences uh, as she led a corporation through significant cultural change, and specifically what some of the hard lessons are to learn as leaders when leading change in organizations. Erin will also share with us her thoughts on what makes an effective, inspiring leader. There are lots of great takeaways from this conversation, and I'm really grateful and uh, happy that you're joining us today. Hey, Erin, thanks so much for joining us on the People at Work podcast today. Um, This is going to be a really fun half hour as we dig into a few topics specifically um, around leading culture change and authentic leadership. So welcome, and uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation. I am as well. Super great to be on with you and, and all your listeners. Fabulous. So maybe we'll get things kicked off with uh, a quick background, if, if you can, of your um, corporate experience and uh, how you've recently made a change into something quite different from uh, the corporate world that you were previously part of. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I think like most people, I sort of tripped into my career. I uh, moved out from a small town in, in northern Michigan out to Connecticut uh, to work for a company called Aetna back when I was just a young young pup at 22. And um, what I found was it was such a big company that every time I got a little bit of an itch to do something new, there was always a new opportunity. And so I actually spent my, my full corporate time at the same company, but did wildly different things throughout my time while I was there. And, you know, one of the things that was really prominent in, in sort of my, my rise, I guess, was that it was a ladder and a rise, right? And so I always tell people, you know, take, take a job like you're looking for a house. It's all about location, location, location. So there were many times in my career where I actually jumped to a new role within the organization that wasn't necessarily more people or bigger, bigger role and, and none paid out off more than when I took my sort of final role at the company in, a, in one of the subsidiaries called Payflex. And it was, um, it was a newly acquired company. And, you know, I didn't know much about it, but I knew two things. One, I knew the people were really great. And two, I knew it was a growing industry. And so I was just, smart enough to know that there was going to be a lot of opportunity in that area. And so when I, when I started there, I actually took a step back. I had a team of about 35 people. I went back to being an individual contributor and then just as my time progressed and quite frankly, you know, with any acquisition, a lot of leaders ended up leaving. So every time somebody would leave, they'd be like, Oh, give it to Aaron. And obviously that was because I was doing, doing well. And then I'll never forget, um, it was a Friday afternoon. My boss at the time, who was the COO, you know, we had a one-on-one. He said, well, I've got two topics and one's kind of heavy. I said, oh, great. He said, I want to know, um, I'm, I'm leaving. And I want to know if you're interested in the COO position, I want to recommend you. And I said, no, thank you. And, you know, a reason I bring that up is because I have a strong, strong opinion that you know, part of our diversity issue 
isn't external forces. It's that the top women and the top talent are actually opting out and opting down uh, for fear of, you know, kind of compromising, taking that position to compromise. Um, but I finally, and it's probably not a very noble uh, way to say it, but I finally sat back over the weekend and said, well, okay, what's plan B if I don't take the job? You know, no offense to dudes, but they're going to hire some dude probably to come in and I'll still probably do most of the work with none of the authority or the pay. And so um, I decided to take the leap. And then um, from there, you know, once I got over that sort of hump of this job and I and I started to learn, I didn't have to do the job the same way that my my predecessor did. I gained this confidence and, and also recognized that while there were negatives to that role, there was, you know, a bigger issue happened. You were in the center of it. There were also positives in terms of how I was able to sort of balance the rest of my life. Um, and then a year later, uh, my boss left again, or they actually put him on a sort of into a new role, and I was tapped as interim CEO. And at first, um, I'm going to be totally honest, I was pissed. <laughs> it was like, oh, interim, really? Uh, you think, you know, I'm not good enough for job. And I don't think they said this, but for some reason, what I heard was, you're going to be interim um, but we're going to post the job to make sure there's nobody better out there. Um, I think it was said slightly differently, but that, you know, that was sort of the message. Like we are looking for, uh, we're looking out there. And then I sat back and thought, you know what? Good. They're going to test me out in some ways while they look for this other person. I'm going to test out if I want this job. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm going to crush it so much that they have no, they have no choice but to, to choose me. And, um, you know, I will, I will tell you, there was a really pivotal time. Somebody said something to me. I remember walking the halls and uh, this woman came up to me that I knew and she said, oh, you know, I hear your interim and good for you. And she said, do you want the job? I said, yeah, I do. And she said, tell, you, tell your boss you want the job. And it was so profound because I think I would have done everything possible to prove out that I was the right person, but I don't think I would have walked in. And the next time I walked into her office, my boss's office, I told her, look, I want this job. And um, it was the best thing I ever did. You know, I know we'll get a little bit into my time there and, and the focus, but um, the next two and a half years, um, I was able to not only have this big title and, you know, prominent role, but I was able to really change the lives of people around me. And, you know, I'm so happy that I fought through sort of all those even self-limiting things or external limiting factors. Um, and it's just a message that I want to get out to your listeners, it, you know, women and men alike, but so many women, I think in particular, um, we hold ourselves back out of that fear of compromise. And, you know, that's what I feel like I was able to prove out not only that you can do it, but you can do it without compromising. And guess what? You can have great results as, as, as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that was a, uh, that took a lot of courage. And, um, you know, I'm, at that point in your career, um, you know, what a big step to take in, in terms of just believing in yourself as well, that, that you could actually do what you were setting out to do. So congratulations for, for living that out and, and proving that you were the right person for the position. Um, Thank you. But when you, you decided that you were going to prove that um, you could do what, what needed to be done, um, how did you frame that in terms of, of the culture? Like what were you actually setting out to do that would demonstrate that you were leading the business in a positive way as it relates to culture? Yeah, 
Well, this, so the very first thing I did, because at the end of the day, so we had, a, we had an okay culture, but we had a lot of people, it had been tough years. And so there were a lot of people that were overworked. Um, we didn't have a great reputation at the time. Uh, they weren't feeling great about themselves. And I knew actually the number one thing I first had to do was I had to pull some major levers to turn the business around. Because at the end of the day, I don't care who you are, like one of the number one things you want from work, you want to be a winner. You want to be part of a winning team. You want to feel like you're part of a company that you know has a good reputation and that is winning both, you know, financially but also against your competitors. So, you know, my first focus, you know, I'd say the first four months were actually not on culture per se um, explicitly, but they were identifying these three things that were really holding us back from growing and investing in the business. And, and quite frankly, you know, sometimes you have to pull those levers that help the financials so that you can start to not just win, but then you can invest in the culture. So that was, that was actually step number one. I, I didn't come in sort of culture first. It was always in the back of my mind driven by this, um, you know, knowing that winning was going to, you know, put smiles on people's face. The moment I decided that culture was going to be the center of what we did actually came um, about four months in. We had all of our account managers in for a big internal conference, about 200 people. And, you know, I was up on stage. Of course, I did some funny funny skit that I always do. So I was wearing multiple <laughs> hairband wigs and shock and awe and you know, and so part of that was, you know, starting to show that they had a new, uh, more humble, relatable leader uh, there. But the profound moment was actually when I was talking a little more seriously. And I think for the first time, I actually could see pride in their heads. So, for example, I was talking about some of the things we had gotten better and, and we had um, achieved. And you could see sincere nodding and smiles. And because I had been with the company for like three years, I knew that wasn't always the case. And it was at that moment where I, I thought, you know what, we were actually at in a good place, like a better foundation than we were before. Now is the time. Now is actually the time to rev it and make it a strategic differentiator, make it center to what we do, in part because it's easier to do that with a good foundation. And in part because I knew look, none of us are per perfect, right? A lot of us hold ourselves back in our careers because we think, well, well, I can't do this well. I can't. I knew what I did well. I knew what mm -hmm. I did well. It was relate with people. It was lead with authenticity. And just most importantly, I knew that if I made an impact on culture, it was going to pay dividends, like real dividends and obviously, you know, other um, more theoretical dividends. And so it was at that point where I actually declare, like, this is, this isn't just going to be a word on a slide deck. This is going to be real. This is going to be something we invest in. This is going to be something almost every person I interviewed coming into the company, um, if they came from a competitor, I said, look, I can tell you our strategy, even though you're working at a competitor right now, our strategy is culture. Because I knew they couldn't, you know, nobody could replicate that just by knowing that was your strategy. So that was really the moment when I sort of declared and made it my, my purpose for the next two years. And, and at that point, was the culture in danger or was it simply that you, you knew that there was some good raw ingredients and you just had to build on what was already there and put your own spin yeah. on it? It's a great question. You know, if you would have asked me at the time, like I said, I would have said we have a good culture. Um, mm -hmm. 
And what, what, what did I observe? I observed my leadership team getting along well, um, doing well, um, happy. I observed, you know, people sort of under them. But, I, you know, I ran a really big company where there were people three, four, five levels down from me in offices that, you know, crossed the country that I couldn't see. And so while my impetus was, let's go from good to great, the reality, and this is another epiphany I had, you know, <laughs> first we started doing stuff just then, and then we had an employee survey a couple months later. And so we hadn't done a lot of investment, a lot of real, but I thought, okay, we're heading in a good direction. And then I read the employee survey results. <laughs> and if you've ever had the opportunity to read those, especially for a company of, you know, I think full-time employees are about 800 people, uh, it's a real wake-up call. And what I heard as we started to get further and further from the top was still, you know, there's still a cultural divide between uh, the enterprise because there were legacy people and, and the acquired company Payflex, right? That happens all the time with acquisitions. There was still some really crappy management and leadership going on. Uh, you know, we ran huge service centers, not that it was all there. I mean, we had a huge team. And so I'd say my impetus was actually a positive one. But after I started digging, I realized we had a bigger problem than I thought. And what I would tell my leadership team, the analogy I came, came across finally was, you know, it's one thing to have children, but my, my husband's Yaya, he's Greek, um, used to always say, you know, Aaron, having, you know, children, it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And she'd always look at me though. And with those really intense eyes, she said, but having grandchildren is different. It's different, you know, and, and that love and that impact. And that became my quest. It was to have quote unquote grandchildren to have not just all the people that got, you know, sat closest to me to be happy and humming and feeling good about their work, but to have grandchildren, to have everybody in the organization feeling that, that way as well. Yeah, that's a lovely analogy. That's uh, that brings such a human feel and layer to it, just right out of the gates, right? So that's yeah, really yeah. interesting. So what I wanted to do, um, drill into today was, I'm sure there were some really hard lessons that you learned along the way in this transition that you took the company through, and maybe you could just share with us, you know, two or three of your sort of when you reflect back on that time. Like, what would you say were some of the most powerful lessons that you, you took away, specifically as it relates to the culture that you helped change? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think just like anybody, your leadership journey never ends. And so for me, you know, you, it's sort of like a mirage. You, just when you feel like you've gotten there, it's like, oh, my gosh, like, there's so much more. Like, I was doing this so crappy, right? You know, you know. I used to think, you know, that I was, you know, sort of humming and I realized there's so much more to go. And and as we went through that journey, I definitely learned some things. You know, I would say there's probably three things that really stick out that were sort of buried deep in the process that we went through. Um, I think the first is in order to affect culture change and have grandchildren and have your grandchildren survive when you pass away or when you retire, um, you, you, first of all, you have to give up more control than you, than you'd like. And it feels really uncomfortable. And what I, what I mean by that is um, we actually had a leadership company that we invested in and that, that walked us through a lot of this. And 
you know, they kept harping, you've got to have this, you know, sort of this committee, this committee, and we've all had committees, right? We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they pushed us even harder. Not only did we have um, what we call the culture board of directors, and I had a chief culture officer, so, you know, somebody really dedicated to this. But even when we um, planned our event, like we had a we had several events, but we had a, a leadership summit where for the first time ever, we brought in all 100 people leaders into the company. And they, they kept really pressing us, like they have to come up with the agenda. And, you know, to be honest, we were sort of like, yeah, 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 my chief culture officer and I, we're so used to that control, like having a vision, right? And, you know, we were worried about, okay, if we completely give up control, are they going to actually hit our vision? And is it going to come together? Like, is it going to be all these disparate ideas that just, it's, you know, turns into a shit show? And, um, but we stuck with it. And each meeting as they led up and we led up to this summit, we actually went on a roller coaster ride. It was like, okay, we're, we're diverging, we're not. And in the end, first of all, it was the proudest two and a half days of my life. I mean, I had men, multiple men coming up to me crying. I had women telling me that they had finally, uh, one woman had told me that she finally had the courage to leave her abusive relationship. You know, it wasn't just about work leadership and, and culture change. And not only had this committee put together something that was different than what we would have thought of and was diverse and was relatable, the single most impactful thing was that when the two and a half days were delivered, 90% of the time their peers saw this group leading and delivering it. And so instead of like you go to these events, right? And then you watch the consultants or the leadership group walk out the door and you're like, ah, like what's going to happen when they're gone, right? It's, it's all going to just go yeah. away. But they, we didn't really have that because they were there more just to coach and guide. And they saw, you know, the rest of the group saw us delivering this culture form ourselves. And so I think that was really, really powerful. Mm -hmm. um, so that was number one. Um, number two was, you know, I'm a problem solver. And, and I think so, so many of us in leadership, like we got there because we're smart and we solve problems and we get stuff done. And nobody sits us down one day and is like, your job's changing 180 degrees. <laughs> like you're, you're now a manager or you're a leader. And it's literally like a 180 degree different job. And to give you an example, much like a lot of people, I used to go on the roadshows, right? I'd go out to all of our offices and I'd meet with different teams of people and I'd get feedback. And you know, how it would go a couple of years ago, I'd go out, I'd make, you know, massive, massive notes. And then I'd be proud of myself for on the plane, actually organizing it into this spreadsheet. And I, you know, have a leadership team meeting the next week. And I'd be like, all right, guys, you know, here's the 73 things that came up on my roadshow. Here's the leader that's responsible for it. And you know, how to, like me, we were lucky if 15% of it got done. I mean, it's just so much, right? You already had so many other priorities and it was stressful, it, you know, because you wanted to deliver. You didn't want to go out to these offices and not be able to solve their problems. But I changed my approach and it was life changing. And it was really through the leadership coaching and the work we had done through our culture initiative. So the, the, probably the last visit I had, I was out in our Fort Wayne, Indiana office. And this is mostly um, call center, claim, um, a little bit of account management. So these are people that are kind of on the front lines, you know, lower paid, usually the more frustrated, as you would imagine. 
And instead of somebody bringing me an issue, writing it down and saying, okay, we'll fix that. I would pause and I would spend the time coaching them. So an example would be, you know, Fort Wayne was frustrated because the other call center in Omaha, they weren't always on the same page. The first question I ask is, do you know who you would need to work with? Kind of sort this out. Well, yeah, it would be so-and-so and so-and-so. And then I would just keep coaching them. Well, what I would do, and some of it was very tactical, like I would set up a meeting and here's what I do. What do you think about that? And they're like, oh, yeah, we could. And it was, you know, I would help them a little bit. You know, I might give them a little guidance. But for the most part, I asked them a lot of questions. And I'll never forget, I came back from that trip. I had one to do on my list. And it was like related to seeing if we could use this other company's gym or something next door that I couldn't really, you know, them do. And about three or four days later, one of the takeaways was people frustrated with some technology stuff. So, you know, I gave them the names of people on my tech, on the, you know, technology team, including my CTO. Now I wrote my CTO and said, when these people organize this meeting, you better show up, right? You may have never heard their names, but like, I need you to be there because I've enabled them. And the manager for these folks who was based in another office wrote me about four days later and said, oh my gosh, my team is so energized by how you enabled them to you know, set up this meeting and have a conversation with the technology team. And it, so it was an incredible win-win. I didn't have this long to-do list. My leadership team didn't. And these people, they, they learned to fish, you know, to use the, the common analogy. And they were so excited to be able to know how to fish. So that was number two, really empower people to solve their own problems. And it, it takes them slowing down it takes some patience um, because you might know that it's going to take them longer, but it, it pays huge dividends. Yeah, and then the incredible. Third, that's, yeah, I was just going to say that that switch from being a problem solver to a coach is a really powerful switch to make. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's like getting off a bike when you're on a marathon or a, a triathlon, right? Like yeah. it hurts at first yeah. when you're like, and then, then you have to go to the, the, the running portion, right? It's like, oh, those muscles don't work. And I'm, but in the end, um, once you get past that, it's great. Yeah. And so then the third was, yeah, the third was, um, you know, I've always known that I'm good at inspiring people. And that's something I thought I, I knew I had brought to the role. So, you know, for example, when we would have a town hall, I know a lot of leaders that would go in and it was very calculated, right? You have your agenda, you, you know, you go through X, Y, and Z. You know, I use those instead as opportunities. So I always told a story at the beginning. I always, you know, I really wanted people leaving there, not just informed and, you know, and, and kudos, you know, and the normal town hall kind of thing, but I wanted to leave them inspired. What I, what the big lesson I learned though, is that that's not sustainable. I leave, I retire, which I did, that goes away. And mm -hmm. what instead was powerful was you really have to create an inspiration platform, which, you know, might sound sort of nebulous, but essentially what I mean is we created, you know, little, it's little things too, that basically made sure that people were always inspiring other people. I always say inspiration is circular reference. Like it, ha it, it goes in all directions, up, down, sideways. So, for example, we started something at all of my leadership meetings um, where the first 10 minutes of our agenda, instead of like jumping right into like something we had to solve, we would just slow down and inspire. And people would bring, you know, ideas about 
things they did at a team meeting or a build, team building event, or it could be personal. Like I just, you know, I just ran a, a marathon or other things. And that, for example, that culture of doing that, then they brought that down to their teams. So, you know, one of my leaders, one day she shares in our slow down inspire. Well, not only is my team doing similar at our team meetings, we're actually doing instead of huddles, we, we call them huddles instead of meetings we're doing cuddles. So one day a week, it's all about culture and huddle. I mean, and so it was just this constant, by the end, I would look at some of my leaders. I'm like, I'm a really shitty leader. You guys are way better than me because they would come <laughs> with so many ideas. And, yeah. and they did that all the way down. So it was just like, it was like igniting these little tiny fires and, and, but having practical solutions to make sure it happened where, you know, we would go on our, we had every other day we had ops calls just to check in quick um, agile check-in every morning. And they started doing like, um, you know, I can't remember what it was called. Something Fridays where we like celebrated exciting things. And then they had motivational Monday and they were putting quotes on these, like what used to be these meetings where you go in and you're just like in spreadsheets and we have this customer issue or we have that. And so, that's what I mean by inspiration platform. Your job actually, I learned, isn't to inspire. It's actually to create a platform where everybody's constantly inspiring. And then the analogy I always use is it's like one of those, I always forget what they're calling, but those flying discs where you can pull kind of like a, a rip cord thing and it goes flying in the air. Your job is just to keep pulling that cord every so often and making sure things keep flying. Yes, it sounds like you really were trying to make uh, the inspiration component quite scalable, which yes. seems to be at odds with the human sort of essence of inspiration. But it seems like you were able to achieve that by empowering and, and first of all, in, engaging the, the, the leaders who were at the forefront and then giving them the, maybe even the permission to mm -hmm. bring that human side to, to bear every day. And, and it has that sort of ripple effect, doesn't it, where people just is this uptake that happens and before you know it, everyone is just operating in that mode and there is your scaling happening. That's exactly you, you right. And, and yep, and permission is such a powerful word. I couldn't agree more. Giving them that permission to not just do the things you're doing, but come up with new things um, is, is so powerful. Yep. Yeah, definitely. So you've, you've given us some hints through the conversation thus far about your individual leadership style, but perhaps we can spend a few minutes just talking about what you think it is about the essence of who you are that has helped you be successful to date and specifically, you know, bringing the, the company at Payflex through the cultural change that you did and, uh, you know, now moving into working in, with individuals uh, on a more of a coaching basis. Like what is it that, that makes you excel as a leader? Yeah. Um, so I would say my authentic leadership, and I'll break that down a little bit. I know you did an episode a couple of months ago on that as well. So it was really interesting mm -hmm. to listen to that. Um, and actually, I didn't even say that word about myself until I went to leave. And the floodgates of comments, you know, both verbally and in email, all sort of kept going back to the same place. And, you know, I talk a lot about, so my company is called Be Authentic Inc. Go figure. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I think everybody's formula for authenticity needs to be different. Otherwise, it's sort of an oxymoron, right? Um, for me, my formula was definitely three components. It was 
humility, humor, and storytelling. Um, and I think kind of wrapped around all of that, I've always been kind of this nonconformist. I like to say I don't like to do things normal. And I love, there's a quote, um, Colin Powell, Colin Powell has, um, that's a good leader is somebody, you know, you're a good leader when people follow you out of curiosity. And, you know, I think that's really powerful. It's not enough just to be a nice person. It's not enough just to listen, but you've got to be a little bit curious. You've got to be somebody where they're like, I don't exactly always know where she's going, but I trust her. I, I, you know, she's humble. She's um, engaging. She's inspiring. She's funny. And you know what? Because of all of that, I'm going to follow her probably wherever she goes. And I think, unfortunately, and this, this goes out to, I'm, I'm sure you have some leaders that maybe they know it, maybe they don't. They're really shitty leaders. And mm -hmm. people probably wouldn't follow you to the parking lot. They might even follow you to the restroom. And if you don't have followership, then you don't have the best talent. If you don't have the best talent, then good luck getting the best results. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, that's, you know, that relatability, you know, people always felt like I never sort of sold myself out and they could relate to me and they felt comfortable. And I thought that was normal until I sort of left and people told me, and then I kind of reflected on my pluses and I'm like, it's actually, it's actually kind of rare. Yeah, and I think that what I've, I've sensed from you as well is a really strong sense of self-awareness. And I think mm -hmm. based on what you just said about some people think they're good leaders, but in reality, they're not. Uh, and I think that self-awareness and, I mean, humility and, you know, those things tie into that. But knowing who you are, it's kind of that know thyself sort of first step forward, right? Um, what do you have for someone who, who may be struggling with their own self-awareness? How, how do you, how do people work their way through that? Yeah. I mean, that takes real guts. If you don't inherently have that, um, first of all, you might not know you don't know you don't have it. <laughs> um, you got, you got to ask the tough questions. You've got to ask them anonymously and you can't justify the answers. You can't be like, oh, well, that person's probably really disgruntled because of, you know, this or that or the other thing. Um, you know, I, I am very self-aware, but there's also, I'm also so self-aware that I know there's some things that I don't know. And, you know, I'm, I'm constantly sort of watching out for that. Um, and I think it's, I think it's critical. I think the other thing I had a, was at a women's leadership event out in Napa a year or so ago. And, you know, these, these things are wonderful, but you only like take back a couple of things that really, really stick with you. And one of the things that really stuck with me is one of the coaches there said, um, if you want to be a great leader, look around at what everybody's doing and do the opposite. And, you know, that's obviously very flippant. It's a little bit, you know, shock value, but I think so many times, especially when you get to the level I, I did and you're sort of running in the executive crowd, so many people are just like, I just want to keep my job. And, and you start to emulate even more than you maybe did when you were, right, when you were a baby, you start to emulate, you know, okay, so this, this executive has been around for 10 years and here's how they act. Like, that's what I need to do to keep my job. Right. Cause there's so much risk. Right. And the reality is the best way to keep your job is to get great results. And the best way to get great results is to buck the norm and be bold and be relatable and be a leader that people want to follow that they're going to perform at their best when they're engaged, when they give a crap about their jobs, and they're going to, 
you're going to get the best people knocking at your door to work for you. And, you know, I think too many leaders are living in the short term and are, you know, afraid to be bold. They think they're being bold and sort of like the product development and, you know, the things they're doing in their company, but their leadership is, is not. And it, it's just not sustainable and it's not going to get, get you the results that you ultimately want. Yeah, absolutely. So that brings me to the question of, um, I know that you like to dance and uh, <laughs> I picked that up with, uh, you know, a lot of the content that you have on your, your blog and your website. And is, is your decision to dance publicly, um, was that your, your sort of decision around you being bold as a leader and, and building your leadership brand and personality? Or why do you dance? Tell us. Yeah, I mean, so the first thing is, um, and this is super true and turns into analogy, I actually hate dancing where you're supposed to. So, you know, I'm older now, I'm 45, but back in the days where you're younger and going out, if my friends said we're going to a club to dance, I was like, ugh, like the pressure and everybody's expected to dance. If you took me to an Irish pub where there was no dance floor and all, you know, all of a sudden it was one of those nights, right, where you just... You, you, you know, sort of spontaneously start dancing, that, that was the best night I could ever have. And that's just, that's so, that's just my personality. And it's, somebody called me a positive deviant one time. And I was like, that's, that's me. And I, and I don't deviate because I want shock value and I want attention at all. I just, I have this absolute allergic reaction to, to doing things like an exercise in futility. You know, still doing the same, you know, I'm going to be honest, like going and sitting on the same women's panel or, you know, trying to solve big issues with the same damn solution. So it's, it's kind of inherent in me. Um, you know, the, the dancing that I've done, I mean, I'll just give you an example. It just also makes you relatable. I was out in our Chicago office. We had just launched a new mobile app. And so I went out to, to celebrate mostly with developers. You know, most of these developers are, contingent workforce. They work for, you know, Indian based, India based com companies. Um, they're a little bit more timid around, especially an executive. And um, we, we were out, we had like a bowling event. And then we sort of went in kind of had a formal like thing. And then we got done. And oh, one of the managers said, Oh, so and so you should dance. So he was kind of known for being like that guy in the office that would dance once in a while. And he was like, No, 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 I can't, you know, which obviously was because someone like me was in the room. And so I sensed that and I went up and I just started doing the running man, my own version of the running man with him. And he started dancing. And like, I know he's never going to forget that day. Um, and I had the same thing at my, at my leaders conference. If, if you don't mind me telling the story, cause I think there's so many lessons in it. It's quick, funny yeah, story. So we're pre preparing for this big leadership event and our coaches, our leadership coaches, wanted me to have like my script ready for my opening and my closing like three weeks in advance, which was, is total kryptonite for me too. But I, I was really proud of myself. Like I complied with the opening. I said the closing though, like that's going to have to just come to me. And they said, well, we have a great idea. There's this video. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's the dancing man video where this guy is on a hill. He's at like a concert and nobody's dancing and he starts dancing. And then everybody else starts dancing, right? And it's, it's actually quite viral because they kind of put a leadership message to it, right? Like, and I think the quote is something like, 
um, the lone nut is uh, leadership starts with a lone nut. I don't know. I can't remember exactly what they say. So anyway, they show me this video like three or four weeks in advance. So it's about a week before the event. And then I said, you know, are you going to show that video? And I was like, Oh no, no, actually this was the day. This is the night before the event. We were in an office and it was a couple people from the leadership group and then a couple people from my team. And I said, Aaron, are you going to show the video? And I said, well, no, I, I thought I told you when we met a couple of weeks ago, I'm not going to show the video. I'm just going to dance. I'm going to do what he did. And they looked at me like, you crazy. And then they said, are you sure there's a really great message behind it? And I said, oh, you know what? I haven't looked at it in weeks. I'll, I'll take a look at it. So they tee up the video. And about 20 seconds in, I stop it. I said, oh, okay, I have to tell you something. First of all, this guy is not a leader. He's drunk. And the people that are following him are not following him because they're drunk too. And I, I could actually do what he did, which is start dancing and get everybody else to dance around me. And even somebody on my marketing team that knew me all too well that I'm always kind of out there, she looked at me like, oh my God, Aaron, seriously? And I said, okay, so hold on. Are you guys scared of me doing this? A, because you're, you know, worried I'm going to make a fool of myself or B that we're going to have this amazing two and a half days and it's going to all go to hell in a handbasket because I did this. And they're like, oh, <laughs> we're not worried about you. You know, we're not worried about the latter. And I was like, done. I'm doing it. And you know what? Beth? First of all, there's a hundred people in the room. I knew who was going to dance first. This woman in the front row, I was like, she's still going to be the first one. I am not worried about somebody not dancing. And so they teed up the music of course, picked the song that I came out to at my wedding, um, my wedding reception. And in less than 10 seconds, the whole room was dancing. And I went around and I danced with people. I mean, these are people that have been on how many horrible calls and trudging through issues and have done, you know, walked over fire and, and mountains to, to support me and to the company. And we all danced together and we got done. And the folks from the leadership team, the, the consulting team looked at me and they're like, that was the most incredible ending we've ever seen. And so, you know, I give you this long winded story. First of all, like those are the places where I dance and those are the places where, you know, I push to buck the norm. And it's, again, it's not for attention. It's really because people want that. They want to follow somebody that, that excites them and that they'll follow, you know, if only out of curiosity. Yeah, and I think it's just the the out of the ordinary behaviors and the things that you do to actually trigger inspiration and uh, energy in people, which sometimes requires bravery and doing sort of off the wall kind of activities. So kudos okay. to you for for having the courage to do that. <laughs> so as we wrap up our our chat here, I'd love to hear about. Uh, so where does, uh, where does your dancing take you next? What, what are you up to these days? <laughs> yeah, so last summer I uh, shocked everybody and quote-unquote retired um, and decided to leave a job that was going really well and um, to pursue something else. And I actually didn't know what it was going to be. In fact, on my list was sort of career and leadership development. But I stayed away from it because there were boxes around that, right? They're like, oh, why don't you be an executive coach? I'm like, ah, like there's a million executive coaches. There's a million leadership companies. And I knew yeah. that doing what everybody else is doing doesn't excite me. And so 
I kind of avoided it. And then, you know, I had all this feedback when I was leaving, going to miss your authentic leadership. So I started to just write and blog. I thought, you know, if nothing else, I'll just blog and give back, you know, my knowledge and my inspiration. And then one day it hit me as I was sort of playing around and experimenting. I, I could do this space and I could do it differently. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, we have a purpose and our, our primary purpose at Be Authentic Inc. is to empower people to rise in their career without selling their soul. So we really focus on people that are, they're crushing it. They're, they're actually probably done really well, especially in their 20s. And but for, for whatever reason, either they're holding themselves back or maybe they're also, the, you know, the people that are just sweating it out and just have not stopped working so, so hard and haven't done that pause and, you know, keep with the analogy, get off the, the bike part of the triathlon and, and get prepared for the run, the leadership run, which is so different. And so, you know, I would say that's, that's an interesting cause. What's most interesting about Be Authentic Inc. is that I am absolutely dedicated to our solutions being different. I do not want to tackle it in the same way. So an example would be, I have a podcast called Because with Erin and Nicole. And instead of just being um, traditional in, you know, whether it's coaching or just interviews, actually about half of our podcast, about every other episode is Nicole and I. Nicole's still working and hopefully doesn't get fired because she definitely lays it all on the line. But um, she's an executive. She runs a foundation. Um, good friend of mine. And I really wanted, first and foremost, I wanted the world to know her because she's so unique, so sharp, so funny, but really different. Um, and what it's turned into is this beautiful, almost like a reality podcast where we're, you know, we're making fun of things. We're going through challenges she's had, challenges I've had. I'm coaching her real time. Um, we're actually planning for a live event in New York City soon at a women's conference, kind of a women's conference takeover, um, which will be um, in a couple of weeks after this is probably aired. So, you know, we're going in, we're not doing the typical, you know, PowerPoint presentation or panel. We're going to have fun. We're going to, you know, solve things, but we're going to involve people. So the company is really focused on doing that. Even my, I have an online course that is um, open for registration right now called Be Brilliant. And like, I didn't take myself too seriously. So I try to always um, walk the walk. So it's not just what I'm telling people to do, but how I'm doing it, right? So if I were to go and do this course, like most people with like a PowerPoint deck and all serious, I'd be a hypocrite. So even my course, you know, I, I infuse humor and, you know, I, I sort of show them how I acted to become where I did. Um, and so that's, that's really our mission is to, you know, to inspire people through these more unique solutions um, and kind of no BS advice that we just don't think there's enough of out there. Yeah, I would agree. The, the world needs a lot more of what you're doing. So I, I'm so grateful that you made that decision to switch gears and take on a different challenge. And I'm very excited that you and I have met and just looking forward to seeing what unfolds for you and love to help spread the word about what you're doing, which is uh, what we'll do after the podcast is aired. And if anyone needs to uh, reach you, what's the best way to get hold of you, Erin? Yeah, so I'd say first and foremost, um, check out beauthenticinc.com. It's just the letter B. 
authenticinc.com and there's a bazillion places where you can join um, join our email list, which is, um, it's mostly me just giving you inside scoop into what we're doing. A lot of it's pretty funny and raw. Um, we also on the site have a, what type of dog are you at work quiz, which is super fun. I designed it all. Um, it's 10 questions that are, that are spot on, but they're also pretty funny. Like, and it um, gives you five different outcomes of what kind of dog are you at work and, and some things that you do well and some things that you probably don't do well. And I have not had one person that took it that didn't say, oh my God, you nailed it. That's totally me. So we have, we have that. And then I would say the third thing is um, check out because. Uh, so that's also just the letter B, cause, C-A-U-S-E with Aaron and Nicole and our podcast. And then, you know, we're all over social and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, love to anybody to to join the the movement. I really, that's what I am ultimately trying to build a movement towards this more fun, authentic workplace that we all need. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And um, here's to uh, this being the, the first of many conversations that we are having. And um, look forward to perhaps meeting you in person one day. I'd love to come in and participate in one of your workshops. It sounds like you've got an amazing lineup for your New York event and just a breath of fresh air. So thank you so much for being here to share some ideas and your experience with our listeners. It's so important for us to hear real stories about people that are actually making a difference in a meaningful way. And uh, I just thank you for for what you've done and for your time with us on the episode. Well, thank you so much, Bob. You guys are doing a wonderful work on your podcast. I love it. And I would love to come out in the winter too and do some skiing with you out in Vancouver. So we'll, we'll get oh, that would be fabulous. plans. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks, Erin. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the People at Work podcast. I really appreciate your time and I would love to hear from you what you most enjoyed about the conversation today. If you'd like to leave us a review, please do so in the place where you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to ensure that you get every episode of People at Work, please do subscribe. And if there's any reason why you can't leave us a five-star review today, please do email me at bev at jostle.me and let me know what we can do to improve the podcast. And if you have any feedback on guests or topics that you'd like us to cover, shoot me an email at the same email address and I'd be delighted to start the conversation with you. Until next time, take care.